Independence Day 2018, a celebration of America's 242nd birthday. We invite you to stay with us for My Prayer for America, an American family radio special featuring Dr. Ray Pritchard. Ray is a frequent co-host of today's issues and serves as president of Keep Believing Ministries. And now, My Prayer for America. Scottish poet Robert Burns said it this way, Would some power give us the gift to see ourselves as others see us? It's a gift most of us need to receive more often. We want to believe the best about ourselves. That's natural, and it's even healthy. But it's also healthy to have someone hold the mirror up in front of your face and say, this is what you really look like. It can be a very instructive experience. We normally don't think of the 4th of July as a time for introspection. Across America, we celebrate our national birthday with fireworks, cookouts, parties, trips to the beach, baseball, and fun times with family and friends. This is good and right. But when we think back to the brave patriots who signed the Declaration of Independence in 1776, our hearts should fill with gratitude. They knew that freedom isn't free, and they were willing to pay the price. That's why the Declaration ends with these words, we pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. On this happy day, it is good to celebrate America. We should rejoice that God has allowed us to be part of this great nation, but no nation is guaranteed to last forever, not even the United States of America. While we celebrate our freedom, let us give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ. Though not all our founders were individually Christian, they established a nation founded on Christian principles. That's the reason we have lasted as a nation for 242 years as we count our blessings and celebrate our national birthday. This is also a good time to take stock of where we stand with the Lord. You see, spiritual progress begins when we see ourselves as God sees us. It's one thing when a friend says, this is what you look like. It's something else. It's a bigger thing for God to utter those words. We can sometimes fool even our closest friends, but it's impossible to fool the Lord. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. He knows what we say behind closed doors, the secret thoughts no one else can hear, the hidden motives, the buried ambition, and all the twists and turns of our sinful nature. He doesn't have to uncover our thoughts. He already knows them. This is a message about revival. Let's start with the word itself. You revive something when you bring it back to life. You can't revive something that has never been alive in the first place. That's why revival is different from evangelism. Evangelism is preaching the gospel to the lost, that they might be saved. Revival awakens the saved from a state of spiritual slumber. When God sends revival, the church wakes up. Or, to give a more formal definition, revival is the sovereign act of God, whereby He calls His backsliding people to repentance, faith, and new obedience to Him. So here's the question. What happens when a whole nation wakes up? Is that even possible? 
And if it's possible, how does it happen? To answer that question, let's turn to 2 Chronicles 7.14, which is perhaps the most famous verse on revival in the Bible. And it says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. In the preceding verses, the Lord lays out certain hard times that might come to the people of God. There might be a drought, or a plague of locusts, or an outbreak of disease in the land. 1 Kings 8 adds other times, such as a crushing military defeat, or famine, or blight, or cities under siege by the enemy, or being sent into captivity. This verse, 2 Chronicles 7.14, is meant for God's people whenever there is trouble in the land. The promise always applies, but in desperate times, we need to pay close attention to verses like this. I believe 2 Chronicles 7.14 was written for such a time as this. This is my prayer for America on the 4th of July. We begin with the subjects of revival, and the verse says, if my people who are called by my name. These two phrases tell us this verse is limited to those who know the Lord. He's talking to my people who are called by my name in a time of national division when we are red or blue following the donkey or the elephant, when clergy of all stripes rush to support their preferred candidates it's important to remember 2 Chronicles 7.14 was not written to the Democrats or the Republicans. This is not a blanket invitation that applies to anyone, anywhere, at any time. God limits this invitation to those who are His people. This is not, for instance, a verse that applies to the Hindus, nor does it apply to the human race in general. This promise applies to those who know Jesus Christ and to no one else. To be called by the name of the Lord means that you have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. Romans 10:13. Then there are the conditions for revival. And this is the part of the verse most of us know very well. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Here in this verse are four conditions for revival. Number one, humility. What exactly is humility? Although many answers might be given, perhaps the simplest is that humility means seeing my true condition before God. Humility is not thinking less of myself. Humility is understanding who I am in the sight of God. After all, pride is simply taking credit for things that I'm not really responsible for. When we start feeling too puffed up about ourselves, we need to remember 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? The answer is nothing. Not even Bill Gates can say, I did this by myself. To be sure, it took courage and ingenuity and commitment and perseverance to build Microsoft. Mr. Gates sits atop a multi-billion dollar empire. That didn't happen by chance. 
give that man all the credit he deserves. The same applies to every other successful man or woman in any field of endeavor. Kudos to anyone who has made it to the top. But just remember this, when you see a turtle on a fence post, you know one thing for sure, he didn't get there by himself. It's true that between the richest man and the poorest man, there is a great gulf in terms of worldly possessions. But on one point, the only one that counts, there is no difference. Both are alike the recipients of the grace of God. Neither man has anything to boast about. When we understand that, it changes the way we look at life. It changes the way we evaluate ourselves, and it changes the way we treat other people. If we are wise, it also changes our view of worldly success. We won't base our self-image on our net worth when we believe God isn't impressed with our bank account. We'll have time for people because we understand we are all created by the same God and we are all made in His image. So the first condition is humility, understanding that we owe everything to God and without Him, we would have nothing at all. Here's the second condition, prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and pray. Now, what sort of prayer is the Lord talking about? It's the sincere prayer of a person who realizes his true condition. When I understand everything I have comes as a gift from God, my prayers will be filled with gratitude, love, and praise. I will cry out to God, confessing how far short I fall of his divine standards. And every day I will remember the words of Jesus, who said, Without me, you can do nothing. John 15, 5. So the first condition is humility. The second condition is prayer. Here's the third one, seeking God's face. Now, if you know the Old Testament, you know that seeking the face of God is one that's often mentioned throughout the Old Testament. It has to do with the direction of my life. It's very similar to the fourth beatitude. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Matthew 5, 6. To seek God's face is to hunger for a closer walk with Him. Many of us know little of this because we fill our stomachs with spiritual junk food that never satisfies but keeps us from seeking nutritious food. The question is, what are you hungry for right now? And I'm not talking about French fries or a Big Mac or another hamburger on the grill. I'm not talking about pizza or a milkshake. I'm asking down deep in your soul, what are you hungry for right now? Those who are hungry to know God seek one thing. Those who are hungry for a career seek something else. Those who are hungry for money spend their days, their nights, every waking hour thinking about how to make more money. What you are hungry for determines what you seek. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Here's number four, turning from our wicked ways. At some point, things have to change. We must repent. Ouch. That's a word we don't like to hear. To repent means you turn from your wicked ways. It means to change your mind, so you change the way that you think, 
so that you change the way that you feel, so eventually you change the way you act. You used to cheat on your wife, but now you don't. You used to be lazy, but now you aren't. You used to fill your mind with bitterness, but now you don't. You used to have a critical spirit, but now that's gone. Once you were angry most of the day, but now you have turned away from your anger. Once you were sloppy on the job when the boss wasn't watching, but not anymore. Once you lived in lust for that which God has forbidden you to have, but not anymore. Once you lived to party on the weekends, but that life is part of your past. Now, whatever your wicked ways are, revival means turning from those ways to the ways that please God. It means a definite break with the past and a deliberate change of direction. Now, if you think about it, these four conditions form a kind of progression. You will never pray with any fervency until you see your true condition before God. You will never seek God's face until you begin to get serious about prayer. You will never turn from your wicked ways until God becomes all-important in your life. Humility leads to prayer. Prayer leads to seeking God's face. Seeking God's face leads to turning from our wicked ways. And that leads us, finally, to the results of revival. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We need to think carefully about this because it's easy to turn 2 Chronicles 7.14 into a formula for revival. Certainly, this verse lays out a plan for us to follow. The word then encourages us to believe our crying out to God will never be in vain. Our tears are not in vain. Our prayers are not in vain. Our burden is not in vain. Our sadness is not in vain. Our desperation is not in vain. Perhaps we can say it this way. When we are so dissatisfied with the status quo that we cry out to God for help, the answer will indeed come from heaven and things will begin to change. We must not limit God as to the how or the when. He is still the sovereign God who does whatever pleases Him. Psalm 115 verse 3. We must not dictate to the Lord about how the answer from heaven will come. He will answer in his own time, in his own way, according to his own will. But we have this assurance, he will hear, he will forgive, he will heal. If we do our part, though it will seem very incomplete, God will certainly do his. If we humble ourselves and if we pray, and if we seek his face, and if we turn from our wicked ways, knowing all the while that we still fall short, God will move from heaven to come to our aid. This verse gives me hope because we seem to be in a bad state today. I cannot remember a time when America was more divided than we are at this moment. As a nation, we have turned away from the Lord. How will we ever find our way back to God? May I say it to you plainly, the answer won't come from the White House. Politics will not save us. Putting another justice on the Supreme Court won't heal our land. I say that in full recognition that it matters greatly how we vote 
because it matters who sits in the White House and makes those judicial appointments. We have to vote. I'm all for speaking out and taking a stand. But when all is said and done, our greatest need is not political. Our greatest need is spiritual. We need another great awakening in our land. Perhaps it will come in our day. I certainly hope so. Perhaps we will see another layman's prayer movement sweep our nation. I'm certainly encouraged by the thousands and the hundreds of thousands who came to the various state capitals to pray with Franklin Graham. I'm very glad about the hundreds of thousands who took part in Harvest America with Greg Laurie. I thank God for all the events surrounding the National Day of Prayer. I urge you to get involved in praying with others for revival. Churches across America have come together to pray for our nation. This is all to the good. So let me add one final thought. I believe we are living in the last days before the coming of the Lord. It certainly seems like the perilous times, the terrible times, the heartbreaking times of 2 Timothy 3.1 have come true in our generation. Now, I want to say plainly, I don't have any secret information about the date of the Lord's return. I'm simply giving my observation on the basis of what the Bible says about the last days. What if Jesus is coming soon? What difference should that make to us? Can we still expect a move of God in the last days of human history? With all my heart, I believe the answer is yes. Take a quick look at Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. We call it the parable of the persistent widow. Most of you know the story about the judge, the unjust judge, the cantankerous judge who gave the widow what she wanted because she wore him out by coming back again and again. It's an easy-to-grasp story about the importance of persistence when we pray. That much is obvious. But here's the kicker. Jesus ends the story this way. Nevertheless, he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's Luke 18, verse 8. Where did that come from? This isn't a parable about the second coming. It's about prayer. But Jesus applies it to the situation on the earth when he returns. What's up with that? We need to read this again against a larger New Testament teaching that in the last days, there will be a huge turning away from the Lord. It's sometimes called the apostasy or the falling away. You can read about it in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, and 2 Thessalonians 2. As we rush headlong toward the return of Christ, we should expect to see what is happening today. False Christ, spiritual counterfeits, Christians compromising their faith, pastors turning away from the truth, spiritual leaders who mislead the flock of God. As the foundations of society crumble beneath us, we will see this happening more and more. All these things are just the beginning of sorrows. Matthew 24, verse 8. In a world where truth has become entirely subjective, where feelings trump biblical commands, where we reinterpret the Bible to justify our sin, Jesus' poignant question takes on a deeper meaning. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in your church? 
Will he find faith in your family? Will he find faith in your heart? While going through my files, I found the notes from the final sermon I preached at the first church I pastored after seminary. On the parting Sunday, I told the people, I have some prayers I've prayed for a long time. I listed a number of requests I had brought before the Lord. My notes say I had just talked with someone whose marriage was in trouble because of an enslaving habit. They were in despair and needed a place to live. No name is written down. And I can honestly say, 35 years later, I have no idea who I was praying for back then. But then I added this, quote, Not all of my prayers have been answered yet. As we journey along through life, there will be some prayers that haven't been answered yet. Will we give up or will we keep praying? That's what Jesus means when he asks, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find anyone still believing, or will everyone turn away? Will he find faithful believers who still pray as the world self-destructs? We can make sure the answer is yes. We can do our part by praying persistently, unitedly, fervently, joyfully, and faithfully. I believe those end-time prayers will have great power with the Lord because they are offered in the face of persecution, ridicule, and rising unbelief. God will not let those prayers go to waste. So, we return to the first phrase of our text, If my people. So much is contained in those three words. If we are the people of God, then we ought to claim the promise of 2 Chronicles 7.14. On this happy 4th of July, as we celebrate all of God's blessings, let's take nothing for granted. After Catherine Lee Bates visited Pikes Peak in 1893, she wrote a poem that was set to music by Samuel A. Ward in 1910. We know it today as America the Beautiful. The whole song is a prayer for God's blessing. One verse seems especially appropriate on the 4th of July. O beautiful, for heroes proved in liberating strife, who more than self their country loved, and mercy more than life. America, America, may God thy gold refine, till all success be nobleness, and every gain divine. The answer to that prayer begins with you and me. It's one thing to talk about what stands between our nation and revival or between my church and revival. It's always easier to confess someone else's sin. Perhaps we should repeat the Chinese prayer that goes this way. O Lord, change the world. Begin, I pray thee, with me. Start there, and by God's grace, revival will begin inside your own heart. In that spirit, let's ask God for a mighty spiritual awakening in our land. Let's pray with faith, believing that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. May the promise of 2 Chronicles 7.14 come true in our day. That's my prayer for America. Thank you for listening to this 4th of July special broadcast from American Family Radio. May God bless America now and forever. You've been listening to the American Family Radio Special, My Prayer for America, featuring Dr. Ray Pritchard. 
Ray is president of Keep Believing Ministries and a frequent co-host of Today's Issues. If you would like to connect with Ray or learn more about Keep Believing Ministries, visit keepbelieving.com. You can listen to this message again there, as well as at AFR.net on our podcast page. My Prayer for America is an American Family Radio special presentation.